Well, my name is Rick. Uh, if you don't know me, then do come and grab me at the end of the meeting. Uh, I'd love to get to know you. I work here at Grace Church, and one of my roles is uh, I run the Alpha course that's about to start on Tuesday. So cheeky plug, we've got, I think, four or five spaces left. If you haven't signed up and you'd like to, or if you've got a friend who'd like to sign up, please encourage them to do so. Um, and uh, if you are on the Alpha course, I'm afraid what follows is something of a spoiler. Uh, each night on the Alpha course, we uh, have a talk about Jesus and an opportunity to discuss um, whether the truth of his uh, death and resurrection could make any difference to our lives. But on the first night, the discussion is very low-key. Who are you? you know, what's your favorite fruit and things like that? And, uh, but there's one question that we ask everyone, which is this. If it turned out there was a God after all, and you could ask one question, what would it be? Because we are a people who seek encounter with God. We want to know if he exists, of course we do. But truly, we have a need, a created desire to speak to him and to hear him speak to us. We need encounter. We as a church are uh, called to be a disciple-making community, a house of worship where we can get to know God for ourselves, a safe place where we can find freedom from our flaws and fears, a family in which we can discover purpose and the eternal people of God destined to make a difference in this world, which sounds very inspiring, but it's nothing without God at the center. We need encounter. And in this preach series, we've been looking at 10 cultural values, 10 hallmarks that make Grace Church Nottingham the disciple-making community that it is. This week's value is we encounter. And we define it like this. Jesus has called us to experience a living relationship with him through the presence of the Holy Spirit. Through his dynamic power, he speaks to us, guides us, and changes us. If you have a Bible, can I encourage you to turn to Acts chapter 10? Um, Acts was written by a man called Luke and is uh, sort of the sequel to the Gospel of Luke. And while the Gospel uh, focuses on the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, the Acts of the Apostles is kind of what happened next. Now, it's quite long, uh, so I'm going to uh, give you a bit of an overview of what happens in the first bit, and then I'm going to read uh, from 44 onwards. At this point, the church is in its infancy. Uh, Jesus has ascended into heaven. The, uh, the day of Pentecost has come. The Spirit has fallen, and thousands of people have believed in God. But they've, they've met with persecution. They've, uh, they're actually running for their lives at this point because people are being put to death for their faith. And uh, we pick up the story in Joppa, which is where we find the Apostle Peter. And uh, Joppa is a real place. It's um, in the, on the, the coast of Israel, and it's uh, now a suburb of the larger city of Tel Aviv, uh, though it's now called Jaffa, and is rather famous for oranges. And I guess subsequently a debate about the taxable nature of cakes and biscuits, but uh, if you remember that one. Yeah, <laughs> there it is. Yeah, that's fine. Um, yeah, uh, so Peter has had a busy week. He's seen a lady rise from the dead, obvs, and so many people have started to believe in Jesus, and uh, a church is founded in Joppa. And so he's having a rest. He's, he's having a rest on the roof terrace, and he's waiting for his dinner, 
There's a delay with the Jaffa cakes or something like that. And uh, he falls into a trance and has the most remarkable vision. What Peter sees is a sheet coming down from heaven. And on it are all kinds of different animals. Now, Jews in that time had very strict laws about what they could and couldn't eat. Uh, specifically for me, I think pigs is high on the agenda. No bacon. And uh, so I imagine there was a pig on this sheet in, in amongst lots of other animals. But we don't know for sure, but I'm sure it was there. And, uh, and Peter looks at it, and the Lord says to him, Peter, Peter, rise, get one of those animals, and have it for your lunch. I'm paraphrasing. And Peter, who's a passionate guy, but he's a little bit slow on the uptake, he says, no, 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 Lord. <laughs> These are unclean animals. I know that. It's in your law. I've read it. Good test there, God. I see what you're doing. And God, he says, yeah, yeah, I know that, Peter. And I, I know, yeah, you, you appointed those deacons to, so that you could read the Torah more. Well done, buddy. I'm so proud of you. Your Leviticus is really coming on. But let's just take a little step back and let's remember who I am in this relationship. God. Yeah. And I've said they're clean so you can eat them. You get it? No? Okay, that's fine. Um, and God graciously takes the blanket back up into heaven, and then it happens two more times. Peter wakes up from his trance. What was that all about? And then it says, the Holy Spirit spoke to him. He was awake, just spoke to him. And said, some men are going to come for you. They're Gentiles. That is, non-Jews. And at the time, Jews and Gentiles didn't really mix. They're Gentiles, but don't worry about that. You can go with them. They're going to take you somewhere. So Peter does. And these, these men take him to a man called Cornelius, who's a, a centurion, a, a leader in the Roman army, who wants to hear the gospel. And again, these guys wouldn't normally mix, but Peter's got a bit of an inkling of what's going on, so he obliges. I'm going to read from verse 44. While Peter was still saying these things, telling them the gospel, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word, as we've heard already this morning. And the believers from among the circumcised, which is the Jews, uh, who'd come with Peter, were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God, praising God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who've received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And they asked him to remain for some days. This is a seminal moment in the history of the church. And the history of the world, really. See, up to this point, uh, since the day of Pentecost, when Peter himself stood up and declared that the Spirit had been poured out on all flesh, really, it had just been poured out on Jews. And yet here was a group of Gentiles speaking in tongues and pouring out their praise to God. And the Jews, they, they couldn't make sense of it. In fact, the next chapter, chapter 11, the first half is taken up with Peter going to the mother church in Jerusalem and, and making account for himself. You know, why he was even mixing with these Gentiles, let alone baptizing them. He says in verse 15, As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. 
And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Spirit. The Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. Just like at Pentecost when the Spirit fell on everyone, now the Spirit has fallen in just the same way. Baptism uh, means immersion, full immersion. When we baptise someone with water, they go completely under the water. To be baptised in the Spirit is to be completely immersed in the Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit. This is world-changing. Because if the Gentiles could receive the Spirit, then the boundaries of God's kingdom had shifted somewhat to the very end of the world. The Romans who received that gospel today, they were probably Italians. And suddenly they're grafted into the whole history of Israel. They have become the people of God. There's no difference between them and me. Peter was a Jew. I am an Anglo-Saxon or a Celt. I haven't really looked into it. And I can expect the same experience of the Holy Spirit as Peter did on the day of Pentecost. Just the same as Laura prayed out earlier. It is for everyone. This was the purpose of the vision of the sheep with the animals on. Of course, I get to eat sausages now. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. But really, the important thing is that God has declared all nations clean by the blood of Jesus. This is the wonderful work of Jesus' death and resurrection. That the Holy Spirit, though he is God himself and therefore unable to abide any sin or impurity, was pleased after Jesus ascended to make his dwelling place in the hearts of men and women if they would trust in him. Regardless of how good or bad they've been. Because when Jesus died on the cross, he took that sin. He took that impurity. And instead credited those who believe in him with his righteousness. If you believe in Jesus here today, you are righteous. And now can expect to meet the Holy One, the Spirit of God, every day of your life. This story is at the heart of what it means to be a disciple-making community. To be a people that makes disciples of all nations, baptizes them, and expects the Spirit to be with them to the very end. And this is not just the dramatic stuff. This is not the big Pentecost day. I I love the fact that Acts 2 is all about Pentecost. Loads of people getting saved. Acts 3, the next day, maybe or not long after, Peter's just walking along. And someone who's been lame all his life, he's in his 40s, he says, have you got any money? He says, no, but you can be healed. It's just normal. He's just like, yeah, okay, that's that's what we can expect. And that's what our lives should look like. Someone says, oh, I'm sick. Well, pray for them. Expect them to be healed. You can walk through Broadmarsh praying in tongues. That's our life now. And you might think, wow, I I want that. I don't have that. I know I was baptized in water, but I wasn't baptized in the spirit. I wasn't full of him. You can have that. You may feel like, oh, I did have that at one point. But I I don't really experience that anymore. Well, the Bible says we go on being filled it's not just a one-time thing because what Jesus calls us into is a relationship Paul writing to the Ephesians describes it a bit like a marriage Jesus is the bridegroom we are his bride 
He has made vows, a covenant that says, I am going to love you. And I am committed to making you more like me. And he does that by giving himself, by pouring out his spirit on us. He makes disciples. And in this story, we see a whole spectrum of discipleship. We've got the Gentiles, of course. God has spoken to them and they are changed because they've never heard this stuff before. But we also have Peter. Peter's an old hand. He's seen people rise from the dead more than once. He knew Jesus face to face. And yet he continues to allow himself to be led dynamically by the Spirit. Can we have the value back on screen, Eric? He speaks to us. He guides us. And he changes us. He he speaks to us. God speaks to us. I don't think I'll ever get over that. The king of glory wants to speak to me. In the story we see... He speaks in a number of ways. He speaks to Peter in his vision, in the trance. But he also speaks to him when he's awake. He speaks to the Gentiles. They don't receive the gospel because Peter's an amazing preacher. They receive the gospel because the Spirit is opening their heart and communicating with them. This is the promise of the Pentecost, the age of the Spirit. Hundreds of years before, the prophet Joel said, God will pour out his spirit on everyone. Your sons and daughters shall all prophesy. Old men shall dream dreams. Young men shall see visions. This isn't a divvying up of who gets to do what. Rather, an expectation that everyone who believes in God should expect to have God speak to them and through them. Is that how you come to church? Expecting to hear the words of God spoken to you? Expecting that you can be used by God to speak to other people with God's words. You want to know a secret? I never wanted to move to Nottingham. I've repented since. I was about to graduate um, and I had a call on my life to um, proclaim the gospel to actors. And that was the... uh, the business I was in, and a lot of my friends were moving to London or Manchester, and I was praying about which one to go to. And then this opportunity in Nottingham came up and uh, with an agency, and I went along, uh, and I'd done due diligence. You know, I didn't, my heart wasn't really in it, but I looked at houses I could live in and, you know, churches I could go to. This Grace Church place looked all right. But I went to the interview, and they said, don't worry about it. You don't have to move to Nottingham. You can go to London, Manchester, whichever you want. Just commute in once a month. I was like, yes, thank you, Jesus. And... Uh, <laughs> And I'll never forget the day when I was stood in my old church, in a school hall in Cornwall, where I grew up, praying about where to go, what to do, London or Manchester, and someone prophesied on the other side of the room. Someone here needs to make a decision. You know the answer. Just go. (sighs) I had to move to Nottingham. Now, that prophet did not say, you must go to the East Midlands. But God had done all that work in my heart so that when the call came, I knew I had to go. My second day here, I came to Grace Church. 
10 years, one month, and one week later, I'm still here. <laughs> a couple of times, just a couple, um, <laughs> I've heard God call my name, kind of out loud. R- Rick. Thankfully, not Richard. I'm not sure I would have responded. <laughs> and both times when he has, he's then made promises to me, which, of course, he has faithfully fulfilled. The first time was something of a shock, and I frantically you know, recalled the story of Samuel. Uh, 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 speak, Lord, your servant is listening. <laughs> and he proceeded to speak promises to me. But then in my mind, in my thoughts, as is more normal for you, uh, for me, uh, maybe it's normal for you. Maybe you've had something of that experience, but you're not entirely sure, you know, well, what's God and just me just thinking? Well, we are a disciple-making community. There are people in this room who've been speaking to God for years. And they'd love to help you get to know how it is that God speaks with you. Ask a friend. Ask in home group. That's what it's for. Ask for the gift of discernment. Paul says we should eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. And we don't, we don't just want spiritual gifts because it takes us to some next plane of Christianity. Every gift that God gives us enables us to know him better or to help the church know him better, because we are a community. And so the, the gift of discernment is a way of distinguishing, in your mind, what's God and what's not. And he can give you that gift. You can't work it up, but the Spirit can give it to you. Get into the Bible. When, when he'd finished laying out his promises, I said to him, God, why, why have you told me this? And he said, so that you know that I'm God. Now, I wasn't much of a Bible reader at the time, but as I've grown in that, and I've seen time after time, God saying, I'm going to do this, Israel, my people, so that you know that I'm God, and then you'll follow me. And that just brought me confirmation that it was him who'd spoken. You want to test what God has to say to you, what you feel like he might be saying? Test it against his word. Get into the Bible. And you will know his voice better. So he speaks to us. And he guides us. He took Peter from Joppa up the coast to Caesarea. He moved me to Nottingham. Are you ready to be moved by God? We're a disciple-making community for Nottingham and beyond. We are a church-planting church. It was actually the first value that we spoke on, which was We Send. You can find it online with the rest of the series. He might be calling you somewhere else. But the Spirit's guidance, though, it's more than just physical relocation. Jesus said, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. This was said again in the context of relationship. He was talking to his friends at the time. He said, I want you to know me better. There just isn't time. I'm about to, you know... Ascend after the bad stuff. But when the Spirit comes, you can know me. You can have a deeper relationship with me. 
I learned this in a remarkable way. He speaks in so many ways. I was apprehensive. I always used to be a bit apprehensive when we'd make space. You know, let's just receive God and let's uh, see if the Spirit will meet with us. And I was apprehensive because I remember being on an Alpha course many years ago and someone was, you know, trying to explain how you, you might feel when the Spirit is meeting with you, what the manifestations of that might look like. And one thing they said was, you know, you might feel uh, warm palms. Now, I am generally a warm person. I'm quite enjoying the autumn, the rain, actually, uh, and I'm really looking forward to a nice cold winter. Uh, I know some will agree and some will not. And so the prospect of getting any more warm was not that appealing, if I'm honest. And so, you know, I dutifully go forward and go, yeah, of course, Spirit, I want you, but not that bit, please, God, no. And, uh, you know, I'd, I'd expect... Uh, you know, God to do something. And then I get prayed for. And actually what happened was a lot of the time he would send people to, to walk in front of me and I get a nice cool breeze on my hand instead. And I thought, oh, that's, that's all right. I think what a relief. This happened so often though that I used to be like, hang on a minute. What's, what's going on? And I had a little sneaky look. And I'm sure you've guessed. There was no one there. Because the spirit is God. And Jesus is God. And the Father who knows me is God. There is one God and he created me. And he knows me and he loves me. God knows that he created me to be a hot man. And so he knows the best way to bless me is by sending a cool wind. And I discovered something that day. Of course, I knew that Jesus loved me. He went to the cross for me. But he loves me. He knows me. He guides us into a greater relationship with himself. As we encounter him, then we are changed. He changed Peter. God showed Peter the true extent of his aim to pull all nations to himself. He changed the Gentiles. Drawn out of darkness, Peter would later write, into God's marvelous light. Formerly godless, oppressed, lacking purpose, God made them a disciple-making community that made a difference to the whole world. But I wonder if that's a bit scary for you. Change. I think if I'd been at Caesarea and seen my friends burst into exuberant praise and lots of tongues and languages I don't really understand, I'd have probably been a little bit freaked out. I was, actually. Some years ago, uh, some of you will remember, the Spirit was moving very demonstrably among us as a church. People were shouting out praise. People were laughing and singing and dancing rolling on the floor, pouring out tongues. And it's great, you know, it's really, really good. We want to have that kind of relationship with God, joy. But I was scared. I was intimidated. You know, I, I knew I shouldn't be. You know, I should want that joy. I should want to rejoice in that way and be exuberant. I mean, I am the rest of the time. Come on, why not here? I was scared to change. 
But God cared for me at that time. Because two, three people came to me with the same message about Elijah from the book of Kings. It's another reason to get into the Bible. You can prophesy better. He told me the story of Elijah, a prophet who went into exile for a while but wanted to hear from God. He was in a cave and God called him out and there was a fire and a wind and an earthquake and really big dramatic stuff. But God wasn't in that. God was in a whisper that came to Elijah. In a whisper. And he restored Elijah. And he said to me, I know you're not ready for the big stuff yet. I know that stuff scares you. But I'm going to change you. But for now, just receive my whisper. And he has changed me. But slowly, gently, patiently, perfectly. He's, a, he's our bridegroom. It's a relationship. He loves us. So he speaks to us. He guides us. He changes us. And it can happen right now. These Gentiles, they spoke in tongues immediately. They weren't even baptized. It's like, oh, it's all in the wrong order. No, they put their faith in Jesus, and they can speak in tongues. There's no special qualification level you need to have achieved before you can do it. In fact, it's wholly appropriate that you do it right at the beginning. The Bible says when we become Christians, we are new creations, like babies, born again. Babies can't talk. They don't know how. They can communicate. They can cry. I'm a parent, I know this. They can cry. And they can tell their parent what they need. I'm hungry, I'm dirty, I need a cuddle. They just cry and the parent understands them. That is something like the gift of tongues. Our hearts cry that our Father understands. I don't know about you, I'm a bit of a chatterbox in life, but then when I get up in the morning and I put aside some time to pray, I can barely get three words together. God, you're great. That's it. That's all I got. He gives me a gift of tongues to get to know him better, to tell him what's on my heart. My daddy in heaven will listen to me. He will care about me. He will do what's appropriate even if I don't know what I'm saying. All of this is about a relationship with God. If you're not a Christian, this is what you can expect. Because this is for everyone who is a Christian, from day one, as we've seen, that you get to talk with him. Not just to him, not just be talked at, but to talk with Jesus. This is actually the Spirit's greatest work, that he reveals Jesus to us.
The Holy Spirit doesn't seek glory for himself. Jesus said, the Spirit will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Jesus has called us to experience a relationship with him by the Spirit. Jesus is the bridegroom. It was for the joy set before him that Jesus endured the torture of the cross. And we, his bride, are that joy. Jesus is the one who gave his life for us. Jesus is the one with whom we're drawn into relationship. We so need the activity of the Spirit because without him we are spiritually blind. But with him we can confess that Jesus is Lord. With the Spirit and only by the Spirit can we look at the cross and make sense of it and understand it as an act of love. The Spirit doesn't seek praise but directs our focus back on to Jesus. Jesus, the one through whom all things were made and have their being. Jesus, the one who was before all things and will endure forever. Jesus, the one who was made flesh, made vulnerable to death, who allowed himself to be crucified. Jesus, the one who defeated death, rose again, and now everyone who puts their faith in him knows that they will be raised with him too. Jesus is the one who is seated in heavenly places with the name above all names. Jesus is the one who will wrap up all of history and whom we will worship endlessly. Holy Spirit, show us more of Jesus, we pray.